0: Believe it or not, every three years when my turn comes up, I really think long and hard about whether or not I should run again. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started into this and ran the first time 21 years ago, um, I thought I had the, the skills and the um, temperament and the heart to be a great trustee. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, the voters agreed and have agreed in every election since at increasing margins. And I've been able to continue the work. But each time I look at where we are and and what the board needs and what I think the community needs, mm-hmm. I would argue that those skills I had, the heart I had, the temperament I had 21 years ago, that hadn't changed. But along the way, I have gotten older, I'll admit that. But along the way, what has changed is that I've acquired a very seasoned body of experience, and provide a stability that really is extremely unique.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Aaron Silva. Welcome to our special edition of the EANS Parents Unite podcast, our candidate series, where we are meeting with each candidate for Board of Trustees at EISD one-on-one and hearing from them exactly how they feel about a multitude of issues and what they're willing to talk about to get your vote. This year, there are a total of five candidates running for two open places, number six and place number seven. Ellen Balthazar and Heather Sheffield are defending their incumbent seats from Jay Lamy, David Borrutia, and Jim Withers. Beginning over a month ago, we invited all of the candidates to the podcast with the understanding that we would be completely fair and above board, that we would discuss the same topics with each of them, and perhaps asking the questions in a slightly different way based on their candidacy. The topics we proposed to them were the budget, the DEI policy... A library books, and last but not least, we wanted to make sure each candidate had an opportunity in their own words to pitch as to why they deserved your vote for Board of trustee this year. Each of them were offered full editorial control over their episode, allowed to hear their episode in advance, and at their option, make edits or re-record anything on the podcast. I actually met with each candidate in advance for about two hours to get to know them because... I had never really met any of them or knew any of them before uh, the podcast. Uh, And in this meeting, I got a chance to uh, understand them a little better. So that way I could tailor the questions around their individual strengths with the idea of making their episode a win for them and a win for the community. Every candidate was eager to accept the invitation to come on the podcast except for Heather Sheffield. She decided not to record a podcast, but her opponent, Jim Withers, did. We also have an upcoming Public Square Forum that we are hosting on the evening of April 20th at Riverbend Church. I will moderate this discussion, and it will also be a live broadcast that anyone can see and hear on the Internet. We have cordially invited all of the candidates to attend, and all of them have accepted again, except for Mrs. Sheffield. I think we have made a tremendous amount of progress uh, interviewing each of our candidates, and I know you will find each of them to be interesting on their own. I know the episodes may run a little long, but I highly encourage you to listen to every single minute of what they have to say. We are truly fortunate to have such wonderful parents willing to run for Board of Trustees of EISD. I hope you enjoy this episode. So we are here today with Ellen Balthazar, and uh, Ellen has been with us in the community a very long time, and she is a current trustee in place number seven, I think, uh, Ellen, for the last um, 21 years? That's right. Okay, 21 years. And uh, this is the uh, one of our candidate episodes where we will take the time to interview each of the candidates across a broad range of subjects. You would have two challengers, Jay Lamy, and Dave Berudia. And um, for someone to win a place, they just have to win by one vote. It's a plurality. So you and I met uh, a little while ago. Actually, your reputation preceded you. As I was recording the early history episodes of the EANS Parents Unite podcast, my guests, uh, Rex Hoover and... and uh, uh, Beth kept uh, Beth South kept saying, "You've got to, you've got to speak to <laughs> Ellen about the history. She knows it better than anyone. You've got to get her on the podcast. You, so you were um, initially nominated to come on to talk about history, and we'll do a little bit of that here in a second. But you have been uh, part of the History Center or the uh, Eanes History Center for over seven years. How did you, how did you get into that? Um, and tell us a little bit about the center and what you do over there."
0: How did I get into that? Um, I think history is important. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for our children to know their history and the history of their community because that's our common commonality. Um, It's important for me that as a school district, we provide our kids with both roots and wings. Mm -hmm. And in Eanes, we tend to do a real good job of that wings part, Mm -hmm. always upward and more and better. But we don't have an opportunity very often to really help them with that roots part. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And in an environment like today um, where there's such high anxiety and things have been in turmoil, I think it's even more important that we help our kids find our collective roots. Mm -hmm. So about um, eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, I realized that the classroom visits to the old Eanes History Center Um, had kind of gone away, had disappeared, and that the resources in the files on the shelves um, were really just wasting away. So I, I put together a proposal for the school district and also for the West Bank Library and proposed that either we figure out a way to use these resources to really energize our students and help them understand their collective roots, or we decide that we need to pass those resources on to someone who was a better steward. Well, the good news is that both organizations um, picked up the banner and decided that a partnership and going forward was the right way to go. So, um, you know, when you have the idea, sometime you mm-hmm. end up doing the work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Great idea. Guess what? It's you.
0: And so along with a lot of others, um, I've been able to be involved in that work, both working with the curriculum team from the school to develop a second grade curriculum where all of our school children in second grade, they'll be coming in April. Mm -hmm. Um, Great to be back after the pandemic. And then from the library standpoint, they took all of the papers and photographs and that sort of thing and have digitized them.
1: Archived them digitally. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So to to increase public access. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're working on all fronts.
1: Yeah, I thought it was just wonderful as I started this journey here on the podcast, being uh, someone from the outside that has moved here in 2013, uh, escaping from California. As I got into the research about how Eanes came about and who was living here, I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. I've always, like like you, I've always Mm -hmm. enjoyed history, love American history, and I love the specifics of local history, if you can find it. And um, I thought it was just uh, wonderful to get a chance to uh, meet uh, you know, Jeffrey Dochin and, and, of course, Rex and Beth sure. and all the other people that contacted me to tell me about the history. And people were so excited when those first podcasts uh, came out. And it's, it's been, you know, really encouraging. And we wanted to do that because we wanted to get people to agree. You can't deny too much about history. It happened. And there's so many of us, like myself, that are from other places that don't know anything about the history. And then, of course, you have people that lived here for a long time that may have forgotten about the history or some of it has, you know, become rumor. And and so I thought we could all get on the same page about our history and this great legacy we have now 50 years. We've had the school district, right?
0: Well, we've actually had public education for 150 years. Okay. We've had Westlake High School for 52 years now.
1: Got uh, you are correct. I stand corrected. That's right. Just the school's been here 50 years, 69. 69. 50, 52, <laughs> 53 years. So when you um, when you look back at the history of EISD, what is the legacy telling you about where we should go? Right? Some people look to history for things you don't repeat. Um, some some people look back in history to um, uh, help inform them on, you know, where we should be going. I'm more interested in where we should be going. What what do you see as you look back, and especially with your knowledge of the history? you, I'm sure you have some interesting perspectives here.
0: Well, you know, folks who have chosen this area as their home for the past 150 years, I find, have a lot of commonalities. One is that people out here are fiercely independent, mm-hmm. and I love that. Um, I also have to admit that politics often becomes a blood bloodsport, mm-hmm.
3: um,
0: and there have been dust-ups over time. Um, there are a lot of strong, capable folks who have very strong opinions, mm-hmm. um, and so that does produce conflict. But uh, and a lot of that conflict has been about the school because the school is the unifying factor in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give you a quick story. The Please. The... Um, after the high school, after the community passed a bond to build the high school mm-hmm. and therefore remain as an independent ISD, um, the land was bought. The construction contract was actually let. And a, a group who felt like we should um, still consider merging with Austin forced a second election oh. on the issue. Oh. after construction had started um they did it by ballot petition
2: yeah
0: so you know things things have been pretty tough and the community has been pretty divided before but always always all sides have extremely high expectations
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, and this goes back to the days when families out here didn't have two nickels to rub mm-hmm, together mm-hmm. so I it's interesting that you say what does that tell us about how we go forward? Uh, from any conflict that we have now. Mm -hmm. Certainly the last two years have have been um, challenging, to Mm -hmm. say the least. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And I actually researched that question for a presentation I did a couple of weeks ago to a group called the Institute for Excellence. That's our um, in-house leadership development program. Mm -hmm. And the common thread I found about how the adults in the community rebound from political differences, is that we all refocus on the wonderful, magical stuff that happens in the classroom
3: mm-hmm.
0: on a daily basis for our kids. That that those learning experiences um, in the classroom, um, on the play fields, um, in their extracurriculars, those are the things that we refocus on. and. That day after day, our staff are working, working, working to help every child reach their potential. Mm-hmm. So when it's when we go back to that, that's where we find the commonality. That I will say that over the past two years, I've had lots of conversations with folks who didn't agree. Um, you know, we didn't agree on on things.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But after our conversation, I always try to say, "So how are things going for your child?"
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And inevitably the answer I get is great. Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: And that's what's important Mm -hmm. for every kid every day.
1: It was about a month ago, I think, uh, I was invited to come to one of these sessions at the library. Uh That's actually when I met you in person for the first time. And I was so touched. uh, I won't use his name uh, for fear of potentially embarrassing him. But the gentleman that made the presentation, I mean, at the end of his presentation, talking about the history uh, of the school and some of the great leaders that were there, I mean, he was brought to tears. I was just, I was just really amazed that here's a grown man, uh, fifty years past graduation, and he is still has these strong emotions. It really is something very special about the area. I, you brought it up, and I thought um, maybe you can clear this up. You probably know better than anyone. Can you set the record back when we, you know, we when we became a district independent in the 50s, right? 56 or something like that. 57-ish, yeah. yeah. And then later we had the bond for the school. Was any of that decision, uh, and this was asked at that library event, a nice lady stood up and asked this very question, was there something um, seated in racism or something to do with segregation at the time that was the founding of the school district? Is that your understanding Well first let rem- remind you again we yeah. go back 150 years Yes ma'am yes <laughs> so we okay. have a
0: lot of history before we even got to that decision in 1957 mm-hmm. and that was because the rural the county school system that we were were a part of was dissolved by the state legislature so we really didn't have much choice to either Okay. merge with Austin or go independent. And like I said, out here, fierce independent yeah. always wins the day.
1: So the triggering was something at the state level. Correct. It wasn't a bunch of parents getting together and saying, you know what, we don't want to be down. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay.
0: So then fast forward to, um, but at that time, um, as an independent school district, our secondary students, we didn't have a high school or a junior high for that matter. And so we contracted with Austin School District, and pay tuition for our secondary students to go to um, what became O'Henry uh-huh. and Austin High. Gotcha. So in 1968, the Austin School Board came to the Ean School Board and said, okay, we've been doing this for 10 years. We don't have room for you anymore. Gotcha. Now, I do have to say that 1968, there was a context of a lot going on in the world. mm mm-hmm. um, I, I, I don't know the history of all the ins and outs mm-hmm. of court orders and that sort of thing for AISD, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, they said, we don't have room for you. Gotcha. So the community had to make a decision at that point that he either had to pony up and pass a bond to build their own building and take on debt, which yeah. really in, ended uh-huh. up being what was talked about and certainly recorded in the press. Or we had to formally merge with AASD and basically give them the tax base.
1: Yeah. My my research, uh, when I looked at past articles, was about the assumption of the debt, of the bond debt. That was Mm -hmm. a big concern because you didn't have a big tax base out here. Mm -hmm. It was still a pretty thin community.
0: And also, the, the other thing that, that was brought up was a concern about the ability to have a quality school. Mm. That uh, the argument was, yeah, we've been able to do it with Eanes Elementary, but a high school is a different animal. How do we know that we're going to be able to have an exceptional quality? Mm. Uh, like I said, quality's always been mm. a big deal out here. So how do we know we're going to be able to have that quality uh, high school?
1: Well, that question's been settled, hasn't it? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to do... Um, uh, Get into a couple of technical issues. Kind of educate the listeners. Uh, you know that uh, the the uh, board meetings probably have been sold out for the last two years straight. <laughs> you should sell tickets. Actually, that's right. We that would se- be a revenue <laughs> <laughs> generating source. Maybe I think we're almost we're going to have to do that. Yeah, just monetize the board meetings. I'm sure people would pay to get in. Um, especially this group, considering you know what people pay for you know other things around here. But. Um, uh, You have a a group, a community that's a lot of business people, a lot of entrepreneurial folks, a lot of very successful individuals, and when they hear the word board, they think uh, private company board and CEO, and we have a board of trustees and a superintendent. Uh, In a private corporation, the CEO, unless they are a majority shareholder in the company, serves at the pleasure of the board of directors. And the CEO sets the vision in a private company generally, and the board of directors agrees with that vision and gives the CEO the latitude to do what they need and the funds and you know, of course, the advice and direction that you would get from a board. It works differently in a school board. and and I think some parents uh, don't quite understand what the relationship is between trustees, and the administration and the superintendent, who works for whom, who sets the vision, what influence do trustees have? Uh, you know, are you really setting policies at a trustee level that affects um, what goes on in a classroom or what goes on in a particular school? Certainly, uh, the, a, a, a standard function of the board is to you know allocate dollars, and you can influence outcomes with the allocation of money. But give us a you know, a, a, a lay person's understanding in business terms, you've come from the business world, how this is different than what you would, how it works differently so people can understand really who holds the power and who who yields the influence.
0: Wow, you want me to sound really wonky here. No, no just,
1: <laughs> but just, you know, give it, you, you know what I'm talking about because there, there's, a, there's a perception amongst a lot of parents that there's more the trustees could be doing and there's, and the superintendent is not doing enough or, Someone's doing too much and being influenced by something. You know, there's this going on. Tell us about gotcha. that a little bit. The kind gotcha. of mechanics.
0: And I can see how it's hard from an observation standpoint to figure all that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard sometimes on the inside, and and that's why there are all sorts of um, all sorts of statutes, all sorts of policies that that help and define all of this. Um, I think people would actually be amazed if they knew the um, level to which. Um, statutory law, and the Texas Education Code actually goes into on some of these issues. Mm -hmm. But basically, the board has one employee, Mm -hmm. and as you said, it's the superintendent. Mm -hmm. Um, All other employees work for the superintendent. Mm -hmm. But in school board governance, there's this thing called the team of eight, which is – uh, the concept of the fact that the board and the superintendent must work in concert and collaboration to be able to move forward and make sure student achievement mm-hmm. is advanced. Mm-hmm. We team, were sitting, of, team of eight
1: because we have seven board seats and right. one superintendent. Yeah. Okay.
0: And most AISD has nine trustees. Most school boards have seven. So on a statewide basis, the training that the state offers, Mm -hmm. um, that the Texas Association of School Board offers, Mm -hmm. they always talk about the team of eight. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And there's this notion of um, a big circle with Mm -hmm. a line drawn through the middle. Above the line are the board's responsibilities in governance and oversight. Mm -hmm. Below the line are the superintendent's responsibilities in oversight and implementation.
3: Uh
0: But where it gets gushy is the area you mentioned, and that's the strategic, um, the visioning, if you will, Uh that we share development of that. Um, In fact, if you've uh, read the articles recently about our strategic summit that we had, um, because of the weather, I guess it was in February rather than January of this year, um, the administration and board met together to identify strategic goals, but now the superintendent will take the lead and staff will flesh out the mm-hmm. strategies and tactics to achieve those goals.
1: Mm-hmm. So the direction comes from the board in collaboration with the superintendent, and the plans to execute will come from the team uh, beneath the superintendent. His, yes, uh,
0: that's, yeah. a, that's a great way to, mm-hmm. to explain it. it what what gets a little hard to understand is that the superintendent advises the board on the things that are ours, mm-hmm. and the board often advises the superintendent on things that are his. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times in board meetings where we have things that are for discussion, mm-hmm. that's where that advising is is going on.
1: What would be an example of an advising that may have... May- Uh, be a a relatively current topic? Well, I'll
0: give one that certainly um, has been top of mind over the pandemic, and that's um, um, implementation of mask mandate. Mm -hmm. The board never voted on that because it was an administrative decision. But certainly the board talked about it and gave our perspective to the superintendent who then took that under consideration as well as input from staff Mm -hmm. before implementing a decision.
1: Are there things that the superintendent can decide not to seek the advice and vote of the board on their own and have the latitude to do that? Yes. This would be an example where I could see... Uh, some some superintendents would go. You know, I, I'm not sure what to do on mask mandate. I'm going to get a formal vote from my my board. Uh, but then other superintendents in this case did not seek a uh, formal vote and and made those decisions on his own.
0: Right. And I would say there's no right or wrong in that. Mm-hmm. It a lot depends on the community. It depends on the relationship. Um, it depends on um, the nature of the yeah. discussion.
1: Well, well, this is not. Not terribly unlike what goes on in the in the uh, private sector, where you might have a CEO that is you know super powerful, and uh, has the, you know the performance of the corporation is beyond reproach, and the board's not going to get in the guy's way or the gal's way, right? And they're just going to yield, they're going to do what they want. I mean, a, a Tim Cook, mm-hmm. right? Uh, someone like this of this stature is going to do that. Where you have other leaders that are more administrative leaders. They're not leaders in the sense of the emotional leader or the, you know, um, that type of leader. Mm-hmm. And they're going to seek more advice and direction from a board. For example, a law firm is going to get a lot of advice and direction from the managing partners in the board, a right. CPA firm, these types of things. So that's – I don't think that's terribly unusual. Um, that's interesting. So when behind the scenes – You, the board may uh, talk about the strategy and the superintendent takes it under advisement and goes and gets executive plans. Would those, or execution plans, would those plans come back and then you would vote on how it would be implemented? Would that happen from time to time? Sometimes it's brought back.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about this quote, the same thing many times for three, four um, different meetings.
3: Yeah.
0: It might be. Brought back for more discussion, mm-hmm. or it might be brought back for a vote. Gotcha. Um, again, there are a number of factors. Gotcha. You explained that pretty well. And
1: when when things come up for a vote, do you know what those things are going to be? And do you is there is there a study session that occurs with the board members or something, where because I would imagine if you didn't if you only showed up to board meetings and didn't know what you're going to be voting on i mean you must have some advanced knowledge of what's going to be talked about
0: well certainly the posting the posting uh, the, our executive committee does meet with the superintendent uh-huh. and and they work on structuring um, agendas for the meetings. And mm-hmm. they usually try to work three meetings out or so to gotcha. make sure we're going to be able to cover everything and have enough time mm-hmm. and that, and and figure out when we need to start talking about something. In this
1: meeting, we're going to talk about our annual budget. At the following meeting, we're going to talk about staff development. Right. Different agendas will be laid out. Right. I understood.
0: So, you know, so we kind of know in broad strokes what's coming mm-hmm. from that process. And then uh, when the agenda is posted, mm-hmm. which is 72 hours before um, a meeting, then we know exactly what's on the agenda and we get the board packet. And mm-hmm. so that's when we have the information that has the background specific to the various issues. Now, usually um, for a regular board meeting, everything on there is something that has been discussed, mm-hmm. usually at nauseum. <laughs> <Yeah. No laughs> but surprises. often But oft, often discussed at a study session, which is a... Slightly more informal kind of meeting
1: mm-hmm. so no surprises, really. oh, yeah,
0: in fact, if there are surprises that's when the board tends to push back and say, "Wait a minute, you know yeah. what are we doing? had not heard about this before let's talk yeah, about it
1: a, and this brings to mind a an undercurrent uh, that I hear amongst parents, which is the board has voted seven oh and six zero uh, for as far back as they can remember. I did some research before coming into the studio, and in fact everyone votes unanimously uh, is that a result of great teamwork and everyone's on the same page and all of the deliberations have been uh, have been vetted out and you're coming in you know with one mind or is it a go along to get along where people are not pushing back on things or abstaining from votes or 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 wanting to have that visibility that there's not a a concert of one voice. Where is that coming from? It is kind of unusual. I looked at uh, board meetings and minutes from some other schools, and it's it wasn't not common for me to see that type of voting pattern. Yeah. What, what's driving it? Do you think?
0: Yeah. Um, that surprises me. That um, other districts are not like that.
1: Because I mean, there's, a, there's some. I mean, it's but it's not it's not that clean. Okay. Six zero <laughs> seven zero for you know. I think I saw in your record you have you had one. Um, You recused yourself from one vote uh, last year at some point, something you had a conflict Mm -hmm, potentially, mm -hmm. and you did, which is obviously appropriate. But in general, they're all, I saw one, four, three vote that uh, was um, back about a year ago. But between now and then, it's just been solid. What's going on there?
0: Okay, great question. Um, By the time we actually get to a vote, we have had ample opportunity to push back, to give input, to change the recommendation, Um, and the superintendent takes that into consideration, and so every time it comes back, there is more um, thought, input, not just from trustees, but certainly from the community as well. So by the time we get to a vote, it's usually not surprising that we are all at a place of consensus. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that we're all uh, completely in concert?
3: Mm No.
0: No. Uh, But it means that we are all in agreement that to move the district forward, this is the united um, direction we give to the superintendent, Mm -hmm. Um, because that's how high-functioning school boards work, is they find a way to get to a consensus so the superintendent isn't sitting there saying, well, I can't do anything because half my board says this and half my board says that. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I think it's our job to get to that consensus.
1: Gotcha. So, to the parent that feels this is um, lazy, potentially, or that board members are just kind of showing up and everyone's nodding uh, to the direction the superintendent is giving, that would be unfair. That would be an unfair ca- characterization of what's going on with the vote. You. From your perspective and your view and knowing the other trustees, there is a lot, a significant amount of forethought and debate and people toiling over these issues before you come in and do a vote. And and some of the votes that are yeses might have been a no, but there's been some compromise somewhere. Uh, some of that bipartisan, I know we're not partisan positions, but some of that's gone on and that's how you've got to that consensus because you want to give clear directions to the superintendent. That's in, sense, in a sense what you're saying.
0: Clear direction and consensus is really important, gotcha. that that's the way that high-performing boards and high-performing mm. school districts mm. get where they are mm-hmm. is because they haven't mullied around, if you will. Yeah.
1: Where does parental input play a role in swaying the vote of a trustee? Does it happen in these contentious board meetings? Right. When you're you're hearing there's a lot of uh, heat coming off of some of these topics. Uh, Does it happen through committee work that's maybe formally going on with parents groups uh, that might not be visible to everybody? Is it uh, over coffee meetings that you're having with folks? Where does that where does that come from? How much does it play in influence in how you vote?
0: That's a great question. Um, All input is important. So, I'll start by saying that. But generally, the, um, to use your word, contentious board meetings are at the 11th hour when so many of these issues have been talked about and debated and input's been received and it's been iterated and iterated and iterated. Mm-hmm. So, it, many times that's actually not as effective as. Um, Raising questions through um, through campus leadership mm-hmm. directly to the superintendent. Mm-hmm. Um, asking for meetings with board members. And all of us are happy. I mean, I'll buy the coffee for sure. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you owe me lunch, by the way. That's right, yes, I do. Good. Thank you. <laughs> um, so th- those are ways where if the input is at the early stages, it becomes formative. Mm-hmm. Um, Many times we do ask committees that are filled with parents and staff for input. Um, Certainly the superintendent is working it through a lot of staff channels. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like I said, by the time it gets to that final vote in the final board meeting, um, yes, minds can still be changed. So I don't want to discount that. Mm -hmm. But um, there are many ways to influence the system where I believe – the input has more value and will be utilized more effectively. I also, I mean, emailing the board. Mm-hmm. Gosh, we get lots of email and, and some some extraordinarily thoughtful pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always encourage people to do that, um, whatever their opinion is. Mm-hmm. That most people think there are only two sides to the issue. Mm-hmm. After 21 years, I can guarantee you that most yeah. issues have about five sides. Yeah,
1: gotcha. I've I've heard uh, quite frequently that when the email when the board is emailed that there's no response, and that people have said, "Well, we'd be violating Open Meetings Act and this type of stuff." And um, so, where do you land on that? I, I agree. You know, we're, we're in an electronic age. We have to be able to email folks. If you can't do it in the board meeting, and you can't take time off work, I mean, this is the way we communicate today. Uh, People are not getting responses from the board on things. What's what's going on there in the behind the scenes? What's kind of the standing policy on how you respond or don't respond to parents? Sure. Most parents should get a response.
0: That's our practice. And so if it's not, let me know. <laughs> but they get a response from the board president on behalf of the board mm-hmm. because none of us as individuals has the, the authority, if you will, to act or speak on behalf of the board. So the, the social covenant that we put together about how we, how we do that is for the board president to speak for us. Often the board president will ask the administration to make a response on our behalf because the question that's being asked is very administrative. Mm -hmm. And so anytime a a parent emails, they should get a response either from the board president or from the administration. Now, granted, when the quantity um, gets so significant, um, I'm sure that there are times when that does not happen. Um, I know that sounds quirky and people are are not satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's where I would encourage them to ask for a meeting, maybe a Mm -hmm. face-to-face meeting. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are systems in place. And again, so much of this is really um, controlled statutorily. So that's that's how the board is instructed to operate.
1: But there's nothing that says you can't respond.
0: Our board operating procedures actually... um, strongly suggest that we respond that that we have the board president respond yeah, if someone's responding yes You're, that's yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah but oh
1: there's yeah not that, a, we're not if we don't like the questions uh, oh no no
0: responding. no no yeah. no not at all
1: yeah well, let's um, let's get into a little bit of the communication with parents since we, since I brought it up. Okay. Uh, you know, this is a this is a tough uh, issue, and and when you uh, highlight what's been challenging, the la- we always use the word challenge.
3: <laughs> when Good we wanna, code word, yeah, code word for
1: it sucked. You know, we, it's been tough uh, for the last couple years. Uh, parents uh, feel that um, they're not getting the proper level of engagement, the level of inclusion. Um, that their opinion uh, albeit diverse from the uh, from what may be uh, dr- being driven by the board is not being heard and this has created a significant amount of of anger people don't feel it's two-way that's it's one way one of the the driving reason why i started this podcast is because people are not having conversations with our leaders or about difficult topics in a format that you know people can hear both sides of it and i you know i appreciate you coming in being willing to talk to me today about it so what what do we what, what what can you do if you're reelected? what what are you going to do first of all this is i'm assuming you agree that communication is a tough uh, uh it's tough right always now. want to improve it, that yeah. what are you going to do about it to make it better so parents don't feel like they're not getting heard great question um
0: and I will start by saying, and this is, this is hard, hard for people to hear, but I've often cautioned that folks should not conflate being heard with being agreed with, mm-hmm. that I can promise you that I will always listen, mm-hmm. but I certainly can't promise that we'll always agree. But we can have differences that don't have to be divisive. And I really do think that we can do this. Mm -hmm. I think one-on-one conversations are great. We've also um, gotten really good feedback from several small group discussions. We've started on a variety of issues. And I'm really excited that that is a tactic that I think we're going to see more of that. Small, group. Small groups. Small mm-hmm. groups. And so I think the more people talk to each other, the more they realize that our our values and our goals are probably very, very similar, mm-hmm. um, the more understanding there will be. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, everyone, uh, what we all have in common and we can unite behind is our love for the children and the expectations we have for the kids and the love for the teachers that are helping our kids um, move through life uh, academically. Um, is there is there something... When you, when you look back, are there obvious errors in communications or ways that the board could have been doing something differently in the last couple of years? Um, you know, obviously we, we have the pandemic and we're all learning about what to do in a pandemic, but there, there seems to be some forced errors or some really um, obvious opportunities to improve the communication that just kind of seem like they were slid past. Is there anything you can think of that going back, the board could have done differently around communication?
0: Oh, being an old marketing guy, I second guess communication all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think you can always be better. Um, when I think about the last two years, I, I, I think about all the skills I've gained and how I would redo the pandemic differently. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. And I hope I never have to use those skills again. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. More communication, better communication. Um, better anticipation of questions people might have. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Um, I'll give the specific example of um, when we initiated the contract uh, for the DEI work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we as a board were looking at it as a response to a lot of input we had gotten from uh, particularly our young alumni, and from staff and the support that they felt they needed. And from our standpoint, we were moving forward on a um, a professional development program that would really help our teachers mm-hmm. feel like they could navigate uh, uncertain waters. Mm-hmm. We didn't approach it from a Community engagement standpoint. We approached it from a professional development standpoint, yeah, and, and I think clearly. we, I think we were caught flat-footed with that. By the time that that may have become apparent, I, I'd suggest that we were so overwhelmed with COVID, and that was the priority. Um, that maybe we didn't have the bandwidth to respond in a way that was comprehensive enough that really would have made a lot mm-hmm. more sense out of that.
1: A, a lot of parents on the DEI matter, a lot of parents question the timing. Why were we talking about this when we weren't talking about or didn't appear we were talking about getting kids back in school? We were signing a contract with Dr. Gooden, but we had no plan to get kids back in school. Uh, well, you know, th- th- that's. I'll have, have know, to
0: disagree with you please. on that, that we... The The Gooden conversations were actually middle of the summer, whereas we had actually a plan, had a very comprehensive plan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dr. Arnett, you know how comprehensive his mm-hmm. plans are, mm-hmm. um, had actually it was called R2R. It's about reengaging and returning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so um, we had actually been presented with the framework for that back in before school was out in may Mm -hmm. and it was actually used as a template by lots of other school districts as well Mm -hmm. um, as a guideline for them so uh, staff was really really engaged and involved in plans for getting kids back Mm -hmm. to school
1: so the so the um the critique that we took our eye off the ball getting plans in place to get kids back to school uh, didn't happen as a result of us focusing on the dei a consultant, that's not true.
0: I I really don't see that mm-hmm. at all. If anything, I would say it went the other way. Gotcha. That gotcha. we that we didn't frame the comprehensiveness of the DEI work because we were yeah. and as you concerned said about
1: you said you looked at it as a staff development uh, effort, this DEI. And I've now talked to a handful of people about DEI, and what's consistent about it is everyone has a different answer in what yep. it is. And this is part of the communications problem, uh, uh, the marketing of it, the packaging of it. It's not, you know, it's not uh, falling on the palate of the parents in this way. Uh, some it is for sure. Where was there a quantifiable measurement that, uh, you know, you mentioned that you had young alumni, um, teachers, students. Where, where did, do we have a, a survey? Do we have measurements that came up that told us? We need to do this. We need to, you know, to have a complete rollout across the district of this program. Where did that measurement come from? Because I think a lot of parents feel that they were not included if, you know, and I think you just admitted that it was really an internal thing. It wasn't parental engagement. So where, do these, where are these measurements that told us we needed a DEI?
0: Schools are people systems,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, kind of the bane of our existence is how do you get hard metrics mm-hmm. out of people systems? That when you're talking about cultural change, how do you measure that? Um, certainly, you can have surveys. Are they as quantifiable as something that you can actually measure with, um, with hard numbers? No. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that we're ever going to satisfy that question. Um, but when you get a significant amount of input that you haven't been excellent at something, uh-huh. I, I think as a CEO myself, uh-huh. anytime I would get feedback from my customers uh-huh. or feedback from my staff
2: uh-huh.
0: that the staff didn't feel equipped to deal with something or from a customer standpoint that we had let them down. Uh-huh. I'd take that pretty seriously, mm-hmm. and I would, I, I'd want to do something to make sure that I improved that.
1: So the school was getting feedback uh, from teachers, and they were saying, hey, we lack a particular skill. What was the skills they were lacking that DEI is going to help them with?
0: A lot is the skill of how to appropriately handle difficult conversations on this topic. You know, you can call it race. You can call it harassment. You can call it um, social justice. The world was kind of in turmoil that summer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And teachers knew, if, if you've had the opportunity to talk particularly to our high school students, oh my gosh, are they impressive. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're a tough audience. Mm-hmm. They ask deep questions. They probe. And our, our staff knew that our, our students were going to have questions and issues and that we might need to think about, are we doing things in a way that is fair and inclusive to everyone? Mm-hmm. Um, and they felt the feedback we got was they felt they needed support mm-hmm. in how to do that better.
1: And so we retained uh, Dr. Gooden. Uh, were there other candidates considered besides Gooden?
0: I don't know that I could answer that um, because the the administration would have done that. Mm-hmm. I know that Dr. Gooden came highly recommended. Mm-hmm. He um, um, uh, before he went to. By the way, he grew up about 40 miles from where I grew up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And where
1: did you grow up? uh,
0: I grew up in in the middle of nowhere in Georgia. Okay. So pretty far across from New York City. Okay. But um, before he went to New York two or three years ago, um, he actually ran the principalship program at the University of Texas. Mm -hmm. And several of our principals had gone through that program. Mm -hmm. And they knew of him and knew his work and knew that he knew what what it felt like, if you will, to be a principal, to be in a in a, on a campus, mm-hmm. and to uh, need to be able to um, appropriately manage situations, support students, and they felt that he was an excellent candidate for oh. us.
1: Gotcha. Why are parents objecting to this? This seems so innocuous. If it's a staff development program, why are why are so many parents upset with it? I really
0: believe. It that they ascribe more to it than what it is. And not to say that it's not important. Mm-hmm. I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. But I think they ascribe negative connotations and um, and fear that it is out to somehow punish
2: kids.
1: Mm-hmm. Make white kids feel bad that they're white and I, privilege I, I, and these types of I've concepts. I've heard that, and and,
0: that, and that's just, that's so far outside. I mean, the whole point is for children to, to for everyone to find a place to belong. Mm-hmm. And so that's so far outside mm-hmm. the context of where this, we would ever want this to go.
1: Yeah, I've tried to, um, to assuage my own, uh, concerns around this by, uh, attempting to acquire the materials that Dr. Gooden has presented to the teachers or presented to the subcommittee on uh, inclusion and equity, and he won't provide them. And uh, his folks, prov- uh, you know, they cite proprietary nature. And this, um, I, th- I don't think that's a legitimate, uh, especially since we're, you know, as taxpayers, we're paying for his his wage. We should be able to see everything he's putting in front of teachers that ultimately will influence our Children's uh, education, so I don't agree with the premise that they give us about it being proprietary. Um, but when you when you don't make things available like that, as you say, you're not. It's a form of not communicating. It it spurs the suspicion. It spurs the the anger and people's misunderstanding about what it is. Why are why is that happening? Is there something you can do to, to that it could be more open and inclusive on what he's putting in front of? Uh, the teachers so their parents maybe take the temperature down? Because if it truly is what you're saying it is, and I, I'm going to believe you on face value, that certainly is, it seems like it could be solved by just being more open about what's going on. Don't you agree?
0: Certainly openness, transparency always helps. Mm-hmm. It, I will say this is the, the first time I'm hearing that specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that consultants sometimes are very proprietary about their trade craft. Um, and I'm not familiar with um, with a wide array of materials. I mean, a lot of it has been discussion and presentation and mm-hmm. training sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that there have been a, a ton of materials presented forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, like the assessment. And I know that this has come up in board meetings. I've mm-hmm. heard parents parent after parent bring this up in board meetings that they don't know what he's doing. Why won't he release the materials? Why can't we approach him? Why can't we talk to him? Why can't we have communication with him? And, you know, even, uh, you know, it's just, he seems so elusive.
0: Great news is a lot of these small group discussions that Mm -hmm. I mentioned that we're going to have more of, um, at least one in any, every campus area. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he's actually going to be involved or mm-hmm. available mm-hmm. to be part of those discussions. Mm-hmm. That would be so, helpful. So maybe that's yeah. A, yeah. A, a great start. As far as the survey, I think what what I know about that mm-hmm. is that it was the results were presented, yeah. and in by de facto, then you know what questions were asked because you see yeah, you yeah, yes, what the yeah, responses it's fair, were. So what's the, your favorite the, color? It's, um, yeah, red. Yeah. So. It, yeah. <laughs> So so that was the way that mm-hmm. that the, the questionnaire, if you will, I mean, gotcha. if that's the specific complaint yeah. and if there are other complaints, I'm happy to yeah. um, happy to take those and, and look at them more closely. I will. But, I will
1: um, outside of the podcast, I'll share with you some of the things that I've been looking for that I've been told. Let's just let's wrap up the DEI with just a okay. kind of a question I have. Uh I, I'm one of the again i'm I'm very still curious about what it is. I'm I have an open mind to learning more. I've been learning a lot talking to many people, including the folks that are heading up the Dei uh, groups around around uh, the district. but uh you know I, I've always thought that a school I have thought we we all believe that a school is there for education. So I have two children in the system right now. And so I'd like to understand if you could explain to me, is the Dei um, curriculum or the DEI training to the staff, is it going to help my child get into college, um, get higher marks, have a higher earning potential when they leave school? Is it really tied to education or is it something else that I can expect? And if if the answer is yes, can how do you know?
0: Great question. I I will have to uh, go back to that great presentation of the history group Uh and the guy that had such an emotional tie to Westlake High School. One of the things he reminded us was that from the beginning, the motto of Westlake High School was strive for excellence, supported by a second motto of dare to care. Mm -hmm. So to me, that reminds me that from the beginning, we've always wanted our graduates to not only be great in the classroom, but also to have the skills, the soft skills, if you will, mm-hmm. as human beings that help them be successful. And specifically to your question of of how is it going to help? Um, I think your your son's in the fifth grade.
1: Fifth right? grade. Okay.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let me let me start with him as an example, or let's take two fifth grade boys. Okay. My grandson, your son. All right. And um, and I'm going to start with the E. In DEI, because equity Equity. is Mm -hmm. generally the the aspect of DEI that is the um, most misunderstood. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's where the most immediate impact comes in. So we're going to take these two fifth grade boys, and let's say that one of them has a special need. And so the instruction that he receives needs to address that special need so he can be successful in math.
1: Okay, is it a special need that puts him at a disadvantage? He's just not a uh, good a learner, as uh, c- something like that. Okay. Or
0: you know, might be a special ed student, might qualify for what we call five hundred four services, which would be certain accommodations for learning differences.
1: Gotcha. So, so it's not a disability; just a special need.
0: It could be a disability, okay. but um, we we tend to look at abilities rather okay. than disabilities. Right. Okay. So we look at his abilities and what does he need to fill in the gaps. Let's say the other student is a math whiz. Mm-hmm. So what he needs is that compacted 5th, 6th math course, the advanced mm-hmm. math that he can take in 5th grade. Gotcha. The resources they are given are not equal, okay. but they are equitable okay. because each student is getting what they need to be successful. Mm-hmm. So that's what the equity is about is figuring out how each student gets what they need
1: to be successful. Wasn't that the way the school has always operated? I mean, that's I know, when I was a kid, I got special attention uh, for what I was advanced in and special attention for what I didn't do well. I mean, that's, that's always been a standard school. Why is DEI improving that? I don't understand.
0: I think what you focus on uh-huh. and what you talk about Um, Definitely does happen. So I think if we can get better at making sure we have equity among all students, Uh that's what DEI helps us with. Uh I'll switch to the D, the diversity piece, um, because I think that that a child, a fifth grader now, his awareness, his understanding and his ability to thrive in a diverse world will definitely serve him well. In terms of college admission and future employment, um, that um, you know, our staff are always talking to people in the in the business world. And if you look at college essay prompts and and corporate interview questions, um, it's pretty clear how important um, that embracing of diversity is in today's world. I will say that one of the one of the complaints I've heard for twenty one years mm-hmm. is that we live in a Westlake bubble. Mm-hmm. And when our kids go away, sometimes they struggle in how to get out of that bubble. So I actually think we have more work than some to do in terms of how to prepare our graduates for the diverse world.
1: They they're ill prepared because ninety eight percent of the population is not black, and we have a very small minority population fifteen percent or so Latino, Asian. Is that what you're talking about? It's the it's the how to deal with other. People of other colors of, uh, somewhere else yep, colors, in college.
0: Colors, genders, ability levels, mm-hmm. uh, socioeconomic levels, mm-hmm. um, people who are different from them.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, we definitely have a lot of spoiled kids out here. I'll say that. I'm not
0: going to touch that. Oh, yeah, I know we do. <laughs> but, but just to finish up, yeah. the, the inclusion piece, I would I would argue that it it just might be the knack for inclusion, if Mm -hmm. we can up that in our Mm -hmm. students, that your son might learn along the way, Mm -hmm. that helps him to not only identify, but pull out and bring out the full potential of unique skills of a variety of people he may be on a team with someday, that will actually identify him as the leader. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I'd argue it will up his earning potential.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So... I think I think DEI can score all the way around.
1: Mm-hmm. It sounds uh, I have another guest where I said to her, it's DEI sounds like everything and nothing at the same time. It 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 seems so common sense, what you're saying. And it's a surprise that it needs a unique uh, and uh, curated approach in the year 2022, because a lot of these concepts to me sound like they've been going on for a very long time. And that, um, you know, I'm, I was not aware that we had a problem of exclusion or that we had a problem where the educational system was not addressing children where they are. You and I talked in our lunch mm-hmm. about in California, they, they they see it a little differently. But I, w- I wasn't aware that we had such a deficit. Um, so this, tr- this staff training program of DEI is going to help the teachers uh, educate the kids on – on these matters,
0: yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, it will help the teachers coach and mm-hmm. um, and help the students to self discover. Mm-hmm and develop their own identities and how they approach these things. But,
1: but we're not when we say identities, we're not talking identities about whether they're boys or girls. No, gross. no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. That's no. a that's a hot button right now. So we're not we're not this is, you know, some people say that this is what part of it is. Um, very interesting to hear the different perspectives on how different folks see DEI. I'm the jury's still out in my brain about what it is. But I I wouldn't um, I wouldn't uh, argue against your point that those types of ideas could help my child later on. But it is what what all of your comments have in common is none of them have to do with academic. It's not going to necessarily improve their test scores.
0: Um, I would argue that, that one outgrowth mm-hmm. of DEI is if our students feel more equipped at anything, mm-hmm. if students feel safer, if they feel like they Belong more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of that is you. You actually can trace that to academic success.
1: Gotcha. All right. Um, thank you for going deep on DEI. It's <laughs> it's quite a. It's really quite a quite a thing to understand. Let's um let's switch to another hot topic. Uh, library books. Okay. Um, now I don't I don't want to talk about library books. Removing library books that can be construed as history books. Don't don't want to talk about that. And I don't want to talk about. A library books that may go into uh, gender dysphoria or homosexuality, and let's just leave that off because those are that's a whole other topic. I just want to talk about the books that that are known to have very objectionable material in them. And I've seen a bunch of these books. You're aware there's a list of some three hundred or so that are circulating, which which make up a very small percentage of the hundred and sixty-five thousand books that the libraries do have. Um, but the when I look at this issue and I see these books and I think to myself, the school spends a great amount of money to make sure that kids don't uh, accidentally access inappropriate material online. And we have policies about how, teacher, how uh, students talk to each other and what they say. Yet here is this material sitting in the library. Um, how, is the, how, how, are these, how are these two things compatible? How are they able to coexist that we protect them. And like you said a moment ago, we want to make them feel safe. How is this making them feel safe or making a parent feel that you're making them feel safe or safe from content that a parent wouldn't object to?
0: Well, first of all, let me say that it's my understanding that some of the material that has been purported or suggested that might be in some of our libraries actually isn't. Or it's at the high school, but not the other libraries. So just want to make that clear. And I will say that our educators, you're right, they do put a huge amount of effort and wisdom into sourcing and curating all of our educational resources. And classroom materials have a very rigorous process. Sure. They are approved and driven by this this state adoption process that has multiple parts, and they have to align with this the um, learning standards for every single class developed by the state of Texas. They're mm-hmm. called the TEKS. Sure. Um, with library books, there's just a lot more flexibility because they are optional materials and a choice or a, an opinion from one person might be the opposite of uh, an opinion from another person who is interested in the material our librarians choose what to put on the the, the shelves and they actually are look, looking at another of state state another set of state standards this one is developed by the State Library and Archives Commission in consultation with State Board of Education. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's this web mm-hmm. of all of this input, um, plus a lot of um, curated lists, vetted list, and that sort of thing. They go through a lot of um, sources because libraries are places of voluntary inquiry. I love that term, voluntary inquiry for me a, a library is is both like a mirror in that it helps us see ourselves in the world but it also is a window because it helps us see into how other people live mm-hmm. and how other people think um and actually when i think of libraries i i Think of the words of Coach Ted Lasso mm-hmm. <laughs> when he said, "Be curious, not judgmental."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and for me, that's what libraries help us do.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That um, I know, though, that people have very different opinions mm-hmm. on what is appropriate for what age level. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have different opinions on what's a balanced perspective. And that's one of the things that we're actually required is to present a balanced perspective in our libraries. So that's why we have processes in place so that a parent can actually um, question any instructional material, classroom on one end, all the way through library books. Um, they can ask for alternative materials or alternative um, um, resources. um mm-hmm. And they can specifically put limits on their child's library account.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we have processes in place where if a parent feels like their opinion is different than, than the librarians, if you will, mm-hmm. um, that that can be sorted out. Well,
1: you're a parent mm-hmm. and we trust in you. Uh, I mean, you know when some of this stuff is not right. You don't need to fill out a form. Uh, to send it in when you know there's something in a book that shouldn't be in that library. This just seems to me like such an easy fix uh, for the, for the, to, to go and purge. You know, is there really a parent that's going to come and come and, and say to you, you know, I think that book that talks about, you know, I'm not going to say the derogatory terms here out of respect. How could, how could that benefit the child, even if it's voluntarily accessible? How could that benefit the child in any way? And you you know it's not right, and I know this form you're talking about, and that process you got to go find the form. It's a it's not a simple form to fill out, and then there's a process where a librarian and consultation with other people committee is formed, and they review the book, and it's this, this whole drawn out thing, that just seems like a a long bureaucratic process that could be solved very easily by yanking all those books, and if there if those books were also talking about important material, you could find books that. Are written on the same stuff, but just don't have the vulgar language in it. Why isn't it? Why can't it be this simple? I mean, we're trusting you with our kids. I'll just repeat that it's there are lots of different opinions, mm-hmm.
0: and I think we're trying to honor the variety of opinions and also protect First
1: Amendment rights. Kid, children have no First Amendment rights to accessing that material in a in a school library. And I will can't, say, can't be Ellen.
0: And and I will say, if you have specific examples from our elementary libraries. Please bring them forward. Well,
1: I know um, I don't have one. I don't have one here. I know that they've they've read them at the, the board meetings. I wasn't at the board meeting. And yeah,
0: that I've hadn't seen. been that, even they have not said that is elementary. Yeah.
1: But the um, if it wasn't elementary or if it was let's say it's middle school. Let's split the difference. Uh, if if a boy. opened one of those books and wrote down those passages verbatim on a piece of paper and handed it to my daughter. There'd be a lot of problems. So why is that not okay? But it's And maybe you don't have to answer it. But you see, this is, this is logical. You know, why, is it, why is there such a resistance to fix something so simple uh, of getting that type of material out of the school? It shouldn't even be there. One would argue maybe it shouldn't even be in the high school level, but of course they're more mature, they're post-pubescent, they're young adults. I get that. You have to have more tolerance for kids to have access to that. Because if you didn't have it in the school library, they could go to the public library and get it. If a parent really wanted them to have it,
0: take them down to the public
1: library they could probably hear it on tv they could hear it in the national news but that's up up for the parent to decide right so why is this why is this such a why is this not this easy why can't why can't the school just say you know what we're going to throw this stuff out it's not going to harm kids that it's not there do you have any idea
0: like i said there are lots of different points
1: of view Mm -hmm. and what's your personal point of view I mean, Hmm. would you? What's your person? Take off the trustee hat. You're a person in the community, highly respected person in the community, a legend in the community. What's your personal view? Should this stuff be in there? If it's if there's one parent that says it's bad, and you were to look at yourself, if you if you what's the test? I someone told me, if a teacher wouldn't be able to stand up in front of class and read that book, is that the book we want in our library?
0: I think materials need to be age appropriate. And I will say, as a parent, I learned a long, long time ago um, that sometimes what I think, what I think my kids don't know, they actually do. And, sure, and of course, and they they are hearing and um, hearing a lot more than I think they are, yeah. and I should just trust them more.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't want to. I agree with you. They. I always knew more than my parents. Didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I I'm I'll not, claim the fifth. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm with you. You can't you can't stop that. I mean, that's that's life. But I also don't want to leave stuff laying around. I don't you know if I have I, I, materials at home, I don't leave laying around for my kid to find. You hide and, it as long I, as you can. Yeah,
0: and I I would I, I would ask for specific examples of 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 how things would be casually um, handled in a library. I really trust our staff. Gotcha. to handle things gotcha. appropriately.
1: All right, well, let's talk about staff. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about staff. Now we it's it's a known fact that we have a staff attrition problem, and unfortunately, such a great school, uh, you know, the, the legacy of accomplishment and excellence has been built on the back of amazing teachers,
0: amazing teachers, and
1: uh, and you know our podcast is dedicated to you know getting parents united around teachers and kids, and we're losing our teachers. Um, Tell us about how acute the situation is, if you can put it in numerical terms, and what are what can we do about it? And if we come up with the answer today, we should
0: bottle it. Okay, and again, right. another revenue-generating source. Yeah. Um, first of all, I want to acknowledge how difficult the last two years have been no for any teacher anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Tough. The amount of change... Um, that they have had to do over and over and over again what we have asked of them personally
1: yeah.
0: uh, which has been a difference to their own families um, has been immense yeah and I agree certainly that level of stress and anxiety is, clearly evident mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. It's not just an Eanes problem, but we're everyone's, certainly...
1: Everyone's been stressed. Um,
0: yeah. In fact, the entire workforce, yeah. even beyond oh, yeah. beyond teachers. And I do want, just for perspective, I do want to, to acknowledge that life can happen and a teacher can leave the school yeah, during for, a school year yeah. for a variety of sure. reasons. Yeah. Um, In a normal school year, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we remember what that looks like, Mm -hmm. but going back to pre-pandemic, we would typically lose 10, 12 teachers during a school year. Out of how many? 750-ish. Okay. Yeah. Um,
1: And those are teachers, not program directors. Those are teachers. Teachers. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, these are teachers. and. And when I say during the school year, I don't mean that they resign at the end of the school year. This is this would be like they leave in December.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. Yes, ma'am.
0: Last year, we had 33 Mm
1: -hmm.
0: resignations between Mm -hmm. the first day of school and the spring. Mm -hmm. Um, It was all the normal stuff. Plus, it was. All of the different changing expectation, the change in models—is it virtual? Mm-hmm. Is it um, hybrid? Is yeah. it in person? Yeah. Um, you know, plus health concerns. I mean, yeah. a lot of our teachers had health concerns either for themselves or for family yes, members that yes. they live with. Mm-hmm. This year, the great news—if you can look at halfway it that way—halfway, you know, two thirds of the way through the year. We have reduced last year's level of resignations by a third so we're down to 22
1: okay so we've got we've got 10 to make up between now and the end of the year but trending the right direction trending
0: the right direction that's good now is is that going to resolve mm. by next year M- maybe the resignations during the year I mm-hmm. think you know with each year we will have a more normal more predictable mm-hmm. school year mm-hmm. um, but I do think that edu- that the workforce in general, education specifically, um, has an issue yeah. in that um, we know that there are not enough people coming into the profession to fill the jobs left by resignations. Our
1: universities are telling us this. Yes. Our, professional development.
0: Yes, absolutely. Mm. And so we know mm. that for the teachers that are out there, we're going to have to be um, Westlake competitive, mm-hmm. and we can be Westlake competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, So we're going to have to be much more creative and much more competitive Mm -hmm. to get those teachers. Now, in the past, this has been such a great place to work. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, terrific students, great parents, a supportive work environment, Mm -hmm. um, lots of resources. There have been many, many reasons that teachers would clamor to work here. Sure, yeah. But I will have to say that with housing housing prices, mm-hmm. what they are, and with gas, what it is, you know, there are challenges yeah. to those innate advantages mm-hmm. that we used to have.
1: Do we know how many teachers actually live in our district? Do you have an anecdotal measure of what percentage of them can, can live out here? I don't. Yeah. It's probably not very high, unfortunately. Not nearly as high as, as it you, used to. As, and as certainly as you would want it to be. Right. Yeah.
0: that, that we, terrible. We still have a lot of people who teach here because they want their children to have an EANS education.
1: And that's a benefit.
0: And that is that is definitely a benefit. Okay. And we have, oh, 250 or so students okay. that are children okay. Okay. of our staff. So okay. we know it's important to them, and, and we uh, we really hold that. Yeah. Uh, I
1: think a lot of the community understands, too, that as uh, business owners and executives, you may only lose 33 of 750. But the cost to replacing them and the training and the recruitment and the – it is significant. It takes a lot to develop someone Mm -hmm. to get them to to, uh, find their place in any business or certainly in the school system as a teacher and then to lose someone. It's very expensive.
0: Yes. I was at a a seminar – by the Texas School Administrators Association. And the figure they used several weeks ago was it cost between 9000 and 20000 Oh, yeah. To train oh, in yeah. the first three years of oh, employment. For sure. I do want to make sure the numbers I was giving you are people who left during the year.
1: What about during the summers?
0: During the summer, there's yeah. always, in a, again, in a normal year, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. There's about 10%-ish, 11% turnover, 80 to 90 new teachers. Really? Yes, every year. I mean, and that goes back as long as I can remember. It's pretty consistent. Gotcha. Um, last year, however, yeah. we had to hire 130. Yeah. Wow.
1: But again, last year... 130 plus the 33
0: the, the Yes, the 33 had probably been replaced in some way during the school year. Yes, ma'am. Okay. So then the 130 um, yeah. over the summer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 30% increase. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: We were able to do it. Yeah. Again, this is a very desirable place, mm-hmm. but we have to make sure that we don't rest on our laurels because everyone else is going to be more competitive. are they too. getting
1: Are they getting picked off by the other schools around us? Is that what's going on, part of it?
0: I don't know that I would say they're being picked off. I mean, paid, um, paid
1: more to come work at Travis or to go out to Drip or something.
0: Um, every once in a while, there's, you know, a direct hire like that. Uh-huh. Um, more often, it's the case where, say, someone lives in Round Rock. Yeah. And a new school is actually built mm. three doors down from where they live. That's a no-brainer. And, yeah. it's, and, and they have an opportunity to be a leader in this new school that's opening.
1: I see. Yeah, real hard career development, yeah. Yeah, advancement. Yeah, mm-hmm. what are the other reasons? Um, you know, if, if you could identify the buckets, what are the other reasons that are driving them? Uh, the attrition. So we know it's a lot, change in life, uh, right? You just that just happens. Mm-hmm. Life happens. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it is um, newer opportunities. Is there is there an amount, or you would attribute to? Are there morale issues, Are there other things going on that you're aware of?
0: Not specific, Mm -hmm. not specific to EANS. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you know, money is always important. And so we're going to have to figure out within our budget how we put more in the compensation line. Yeah. I I think that's definitely a given. But for teachers, the things that that um, from survey data, Mm -hmm. what you get back that they're looking for is the kind of work environment. Yeah that they are in, Mm -hmm. administrative support, Mm -hmm. and professional growth. Gotcha. Teachers love to get better at their craft. Yeah. And they love seeing students succeed. Yeah. They see a lot of that in EANS. Yeah. And uh, so I I think that helps us be competitive. We have things like um, uh, groups that are called professional learning communities, and we give time virtually for each teacher to To collaborate within a PLC mm-hmm. on a daily basis, um, the connect time, the extra, um, the extra days, mm-hmm. uh, extra minutes that have been added in for more teacher planning over the pandemic, and things like that, Institute for Excellence mm-hmm. that I mentioned,
2: gotcha.
0: um, things that allow staff to really thrive. Yeah. Um, those are all very good but we've got to continue to do more of those and make sure we understand what's really important to our teachers i'd love to to see us really lean into the management strategy of clifton strengths hmm. don't know if you're familiar no, with that I'm not. but it it identifies those things that you are really good at doing. Mm-hmm. And as a management strategy, you help put people, it's, it's the right seat on the bus mm-hmm. philosophy. Mm-hmm. And if you get somebody in the right seat on the bus, they are going to be infinitely happy, mm-hmm. happier in their professional mm-hmm. work.
1: So if the voters um, uh, permit you another three years, are are you saying that the kind of programs that we have in place right now are the ones that we're going to continue? Um, to to stave off the attrition issue and and improve retention? Or do you have another idea of things we could be doing that we're not?
0: I think we're going to have to get even better than what we've done. Mm -hmm. Um, That in the last year, a teacher advisory panel has been started Mm -hmm. to – help figure out an answer to this question. And that's on an EANS level. Yeah. And certainly you've probably read in the paper about the, the task force in Texas, their task force mm. oh, on, the, yeah. on the national level. I mean, everybody is trying to figure out this question. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to to make sure that those things around support in the work environment are are lifted up. But I also think we have to look at real practical solutions. And, and that's everything from childcare We do have a child development center. Mm -hmm. We might need to expand that.
1: As a benefit.
0: As a benefit. Mm -hmm. Um, Gas cards. One of the booster clubs Mm -hmm. has given all their teachers across the board gas cards. I think Mm -hmm. that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even the concept of workforce housing. Um, There are some women in the community that are very, very interested in this. And, Mm -hmm. in fact, next week I've I've, um, set up an opportunity for us to meet with the uh, executive director of a nonprofit in town
2: mm-hmm.
0: that um, builds and manages hmm. workforce housing to see, just to brainstorm, to see how might we um, be able to facilitate housing that is closer to this area, maybe even in this area, yeah. that would be more affordable yeah, to I, teachers. I
1: think uh, Dr. Arnett brought that up in in his uh, podcast episode. Um, I was thinking, I, in the private sector, I was at a conference recently, and this the the turnover the great resignation that's affecting the country affects everybody and uh, this HR consultant was there at, for the keynote speaker and he was talking about the benefits that the young people want today uh, you know they don't want um, uh, vacations or the kind of soft compensation they just want the money but they also were attracting people and keeping pet, keeping uh, employees by giving them things like pet insurance. <laughs>
2: I had not heard that no, one. <laughs> no, no, I mean
1: off the wall. Yeah. Like what? These uh, because they're not um, this younger generation is not reproducing at the rates that, that past generations have, but they all have pets, and so where childcare was a benefit, which you brought up, mm-hmm. that's what made me think of it. These 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 uh, national consultants are saying, yeah, childcare is one thing, but there's not many children out there anymore. They want equivalent benefits for the childless homes, pet insurance. And I thought, I'm not making that as a recommendation, but this is where the you have to be creative to get these folks because the state's not going to bring us more money, right? No. And, th- that, and we can't hold out uh, you know, that fantasy that that's going to happen. Have you thought about uh, the idea of, of organizing folks into creating a large endowment? I'd say that's
0: exactly what EEF has done. They have they they do the teacher fund and give us the the um, gift on an annual basis. Yeah. But they also are thinking long term and have a pretty good start on an endowment. Yeah, you have so, any idea yes. how
1: big it is? I don't. Yeah. I'm thinking a couple hundred million. Ooh, a, I a, like your thinking. Well, I mean, that's where really where we have to go because on the other side of. Uh, uh, retention and attrition is you have to pay teachers more. And the, the great money that EEF is providing isn't paying all the other teachers more. It's funding 50 teachers at subpar competitive wages, right? We know that. So they're not giving us enough and they're doing everything they can, obviously can't diminish what they're doing. But if you want to solve that and you also want to have be able to do big capital projects and some of this housing you're talking about, you need capital to do that. And these are the types of things that endowments make possible. But it can't be a $5 million endowment. It's got to be hundreds of millions of dollars. And it seems to me that we have the affluence over here to get that type of stuff done if people are going to be creative enough to go out, creative enough to go get it.
0: I do think that we are, our community is now at the point where we can actually start thinking about that kind of really big picture um, opportunity, which is the way we will be able to control our own destiny.
1: Yeah, you have to. You can't rely. Uh, everyone out here knows you can't rely on the government. So um, so I hope that's some of the big thinking that, that that comes along for sure. I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, since we're on uh, budget, We, some people argue we have a, you know, when you say to someone in the administration or uh, a trustee or someone in the know that we have a deficit, the response is, but we have a balanced budget. These are two different things, uh, because sometimes what's not on your balance sheet that you know is around the corner is really what you need to be thinking about. Like you can balance the budget today, knowing that a couple years down the down down the path there's going to be issues. Do you see us as solvent the way that we should be solvent? I mean, you already know that we're not we're not paying teachers what we should be paying, so that's a deficit right there off balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the financial condition of the school district at? And what are the challenges ahead that you're going to help solve with another three years uh, as a trustee?
0: I will say that I am thrilled that on paper we have a balanced budget, <laughs> even yeah. given what you just said. Yeah. Um, do I think that there is a, uh, a, a budget storm around the corner or under the next bush? I always think that that's the case. Yeah. I will never assume that we know what the state of Texas is going to send our way. It can be an unfunded mandate. Um, It could be a change in their formulas. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do know that they have been completely unwilling to index the money that is is, um, allowed for educating students to index against inflation. Oh, and so that's just so inflation's kind of
1: going to come. Hit us. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah in,
0: inflation's going to when you have the same uh, the same formula for five years and you don't adjust it or index it in it any way.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, that is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. So for 21 years, if you ever ask me any single year, what's one of the biggest issues? I will always say the budget. Yeah, because um, we have to look at at what we have and what the conditions are and what new laws have been passed and what we have new requirements that have been put on us. And every year that is a struggle. Mm-hmm. But at least the great news is that because the laws were changed
3: mm-hmm. four
0: or five years ago and we were allowed to go to the voters and ask for this these things called golden pennies, uh-huh. yep. which basically... Were, it was an, um, a piece of the tax rate that we get to keep mm-hmm. 100% of those revenues mm-hmm. versus that money being recaptured by the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. So anything in the school formula that we get to keep 100%, mm-hmm. our bond um, proposals, for example, we yeah. keep 100% of bonds. They're yeah. really invaluable yeah. in a in a district like Eans. The golden pennies, we get to keep 100% mm-hmm. because our... Other dollars, the ones in the M and O bucket, sixty mm-hmm. percent of those go back to the state. Yeah, and yeah. so we really are paying more than double for yeah. anything we have to pay out of that yeah. that fund. Um, so over time, I have seen us have the most success. One can when we go after opportunities that we can control. As we mentioned, yeah. EEF, yeah. huge supporter of EEF. Yeah. And when we really focus on revenue opportunities.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that's why, again, pre-COVID, yeah. we hope to be back to normal,
1: yeah.
0: um, the rental of our facilities. Monetizing
1: the facilities. Yes.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we don't need them. I want to make sh- make clear that school has priority. Of course. Our students have priority.
1: Uh, but renting out the fields to the uh, flight football teams or right. the Pop Warner groups right, the basketball courts and monetizing that. That sort of thing. Yeah. Why not?
0: Um, taking every, every advantage we can of any change in the law, like the golden pennies.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Unfortunately, we're allowed four golden pennies, We've gone to the voters twice. They've said yes, but but we don't have any more Mm -hmm. in that turnip.
1: We're we're at a point where we're dependent too much on the government to give us what they're not going to give us. And now we have, you know, now uh, EEF has been almost is now almost an entitlement. We can't do without it. I'm sure when they first started giving, it was a nice it was a wonderful to have. Now it's a need to have. And then you mentioned this transfer policy. A small change, and we're in a tough spot. So it really is the time for some big ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I will add one more thing that's more really about expenses, yes. not, not so much revenue, and that is um, creatively designing bond programs mm-hmm. so that you reduce your operating expenses. Um We've already been doing that for years. And in the 2019 bond, for example, there were um, specific things like LED lights. Yeah. I mean, pretty straightforward. You save at home, we save in school. Um, Buying our copy machines as opposed to paying Paying a, a, a lease out of our operating budget. Yeah. Those things alone have saved, are saving us half a million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. But we are still spending, if you look at the fuel to run our buses yeah. and the electricity to light the classrooms, there's still a, a million and a half, I'm sorry, a million and a half dollars mm-hmm. in that um, expense line.
1: Has the school brought in, uh, um, I'm curious, does the school bring in outside consultants or experts to look at the operational efficiency of the school like a... Uh, Pricewaterhouse or someone like this and then also folks study how to generate revenue and give you advice they're experts on this do you does this does does the school employ these people bring these people in to do that
0: certainly the the to assess the efficiency and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever been aware of a um, revenue generating consultant per se Mm -hmm. but what a great idea
1: well, sure that's that's in the private world, I'm in that business. I'm not, I'm not proposing I could do it <laughs> but there are a great many consultants that can you know that will come in and look at I mean you have all these facilities, you have these huge capital uh, uh, assets as assets sitting around that could be monetized and make recommendations on what's possible. Uh, and also on the efficiency side as well. Does Is, it, uh, is there an, an audit, a budget audit that goes on on a regular basis annually? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that's just, that just books. But you don't have – there's not an outside firm that comes in and l- walks around from corner to corner and looks at opportunities to cut expenses.
0: Not on an annual basis, mm-hmm. but we have done that every several years. Have you?
1: Yeah. It's, not a, it's, not, it's probably too often to do it annually, but every so often. Yeah. gotcha. Think about the revenue one.
0: Um, I don't charge me for that idea. No, I won't charge I might, you for that. I might steal. That's
1: it. right. Um, well, let's end with a, a couple points. I'd be very interested to hear you talk about. So now you've you've been on the board and serving our community faithfully for 21 years. Um, in addition to everything else that you've been doing for us, why are you seeking another uh, you know term as a trustee? what What else do you have in mind that you could do for us that you haven't been able to accomplish the last twenty one years?
0: Believe it or not, every three years when my turn comes up, I really think long and hard about whether or not I should run again mm-hmm. um, When I started into this and ran the first time twenty one years ago, um, I thought I had the the skills and the um, temperament and the heart to be a great trustee. Mm-hmm. Um, Thankfully, the voters agreed and have agreed in every election since at increasing margins, and I've been able to continue the work. But each time I look at where we are and and what the board needs and what I think the community needs, Mm
3: -hmm.
0: I would argue that those skills I had, the heart I had, the temperament I had 21 years ago, that hadn't changed. Mm -hmm. But along the way. I have gotten older, Mm -hmm. I'll admit that. But along the way, what has changed is that I've acquired a very seasoned body of experience Mm -hmm. and provide a stability that really is extremely unique, Mm -hmm. particularly for this point in time. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: And I would argue that when it's Super Bowl time, do you want to go with a rookie or do you want to put in your twenty-year quarterback who's seen every defense imaginable, mm-hmm. and kind of knows what's going to happen even before the play develops?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's where I think we are. Mm-hmm. I think we are at a point of really regrouping past the pandemic, and none of us have, none of us have seen this. Yeah. So I can't claim, but I've seen it and, and mm-hmm. no one else has. This is one, has. Of the, one of the
1: defenses you have not seen. Right. It. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: but that experience and that stability still gives an advantage to being able to figure out how to navigate mm-hmm. tough tough times. I also will say that one of the other things I always consider is where we are in the leadership transition
2: process. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. There have been times I decided to run because we will be hiring a superintendent, over the course of the three-year term there are also times i've decided to run because we just have hired a superintendent yeah and by that i mean that i really believe that if you're on the team that hires someone in -hmm. our case hires a superintendent Mm -hmm. that you owe it to that person to be invested in their success Hmm. and then you need to stay around at least through the transition
1: gotcha gotcha all seems great it all seems great. I, uh, I think it's just wonderful that you were willing to come in here and spend this time with me on the podcast. I know the community will be very grateful to hear you answer some difficult questions. Tough questions. I mean, and, and uh, you know, it's tough times, deserves tough questions. And like you said, you're, you're tough, and I agree that you are, and I think you've just done a fantastic job. I, um, I wish you the best of luck. I thank you again for coming on board uh, and, and talking to us today, and I hope that um, if you are reelected, that you are able to do some of these great things you intend to do and uh, you know make the education great for my kids, because at the end of the day, that's what's most important, and, I, and I, I can get behind that, and I think all the parents can get behind that.
0: Thank you. I I feel like I've been doing that for 21 years and um, that, you know, I, I, my kids graduated 20 years ago and 18 years ago, but I've got grandchildren who are going to be, you know, five of them who are going to be graduating 15 years from now. So I've got a pretty broad perspective here. Mm -hmm. And um, the good news is that over half the time I've been on the board, I haven't had children. Or grandchildren in the district. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's pretty clear that I really believe that all children are our children, mm-hmm. so I'm happy to create a great situation for
1: your children. Well, we're, we're happy you've been here all this time. Thank Best you. Best of luck to you. Thanks again for coming in. Ellen Balthazar. This podcast is brought to you by Ian's Kids First. Ensuring that Ian's prioritizes our children's well-being, honors parental rights, and unites our incredible community. To learn more about our mission or to donate to our cause, please visit us at eanskids.com. That's e-a-n-e-s kids.com.